0: Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buker. Here's your host. let might send it over to Rick Buker. Rick Buker. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can now read me on foxsports.com and the Fox Sports app. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. The start of this week's slate of episodes is a little late because I had to make an unexpected trip out of town via Red Eye. I don't know about any of you, but I always have this vision of getting at least a few hours' sleep on these overnight flights. And it never happens. Sometimes, and I believe this is a cabin pressure or piped oxygen effect, I'll nod off as we take off, no matter how much sleep I've got, no matter what time of day it is. Then we reach cruising altitude, and my eyes pop open, and it's over. Sometimes I have visions of working through the night on these red eyes, and that doesn't happen either. I end up alternating between doing a little work and turning everything off. And resting my eyes, but never nodding off. Wishing I could nod off, but never getting there. In short, red eyes are never what I imagine them to be. It's a little like how I imagine going to Las Vegas. Whenever I have a reason to go there, usually for summer league or maybe an exhibition game, my first thought is, I'm going to Las Vegas. And I imagine all the fun I'm going to have. And then I land, and I'm in the desert among zombies. And maybe it would be different if I came in and left at night, but I almost never do that. And Vegas is (laughs) ghastly in the daylight. I immediately begin thinking about how long I'm going to be there and the shape I'm going to be in when I leave, which is never tip-top. And I start dreaming of being home again. And yet, I go through the same yay cycle every damn time. Red eyes, Vegas, either one. As regular listeners of this podcast know, I generally like to hit a single topic in each episode so that I can hit it thoroughly. The fact that I'm doing five of these every week allows me to do that without missing big item uh, subjects that need to be addressed. But going into this episode, I suspect this may be a twofer in part because I'm thinking of two topics that I'm pretty sure I'm going to revisit somewhere down the line because they are evolving situations. And the two topics are trade proposals involving the Warriors and fatherhood. Now, I know if I were you, that last one would send several questions immediately zinging through my head. The first being, in what way is fatherhood as a topic related to the NBA? Uh, This is not the Who's Your Daddy? Sports Illustrated piece from many years ago. Um, But I'll explain why it is this topic and not that. The second question would be, how are either of these subjects not capable of filling an entire episode? And the latter in particular should be able to carry maybe an entire series. And if you're thinking that, you may be right. It may deserve an episode or two all of its own. But as of right now, I'm just thinking about how fatherhood has affected me and how I see it affecting two particularly noteworthy NBA players right now, Draymond Green and LeBron James. But the conversation, let's start with the conversation about the Warriors, uh, which begins with, of course, should they be looking to make a deal? After all. They've established themselves as one of the best teams in the league, as is. And they have reinforcements on the way in Clay Thompson and James Wiseman, adding both help on the perimeter and around the rim. If you're thinking, why mess around with a good thing? There are people who might agree with you. But they're not rival GMs. They believe the Warriors should be looking to make a deal. That their window is right now with... Steph, Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, make good. Go for it now. I agree. Short answer from me, yes, they should be looking to make a deal. But they shouldn't make one at all costs. That's where I differ from some of the GMs that I've spoken to. To me, this is not an all-or-none situation just yet. Now, anyone's view of how important it is that the Warriors make a deal depends on their view of what they can expect from the reinforcements that are already on the way my biggest question about what clay will provide in particular is on the defensive end thoughts of vintage clay are generally about his instant offense but his defense was just as vital in the warriors five consecutive trips to the finals his contributions there have been long undervalued in my mind in the past I've seen in various places comments that have suggested Clay is actually not all that as a defender, citing analytics as the basis of the take, which are the kind of comments that make me worry about the state of our nation and the people in it. And yes, I'm exaggerating there, but no one who has actually watched the Warriors play would ever come to that conclusion. Anyone who has watched him play within the Warrior schematics and in key situations and matchups would laugh at any numbers that tried to discount how important his size and versatility in a backcourt shared with Steph Curry were, how important his relentless effort and Ironman durability were, how without him taking certain matchups, Steph would have sustained a lot more wear and tear over the years getting target, targeted by opponents. You see it happening this season already. Which is why I would argue Steph's shooting has been far from what we're used to seeing on certain nights. Jordan Poole, for all of his scoring talent, isn't much help at the other end of the floor, at least nowhere near the kind of help that Clay has offered. Poole and Andrew Wiggins combined have provided the elements that Clay pretty much contributed all by himself. But players dealing with a drop in athleticism or agility, feel it most trying to defend? Russ Westbrook is one example. LeBron is another. So while I'm sure that Clay will have no trouble knocking down shots when he returns, will he be the Iron Man and tireless worker on D that he's been in the past? I mean, those minutes that he played, those hard minutes that he played, I just feel like they were always just taken for granted. He was always available. He was always there, played through injuries, and not just didn't get through injuries, like played like the same old clay. So my concerns with what kind of clay we're going to see starts there. Before I dive into some of the trades I've seen proposed out there and why I wouldn't put too much stock in them happening as constituted, let me say I have no problem with fans proposing trades. They are invariably slanted to benefit their team, but There's nothing wrong with that. Fans are always going to want what's best for their team. What creases me a bit is when media members suggest deals, or at least people who are portraying themselves as media members. And they suggest deals that either A, don't reflect the mindset or approach of one team or another involved in the deal. That applies to the Warriors as much as any team in the league because of the unique way in which they play. To fit in with the Warriors, these Warriors, a player has to, A, have a high basketball IQ, along with, B, a certain selflessness. No one is coming into this team and dominating the ball. Can they move without the ball? Can they operate? Can they impact the game without the ball? Can they consistently make smart decisions when they have it? That's almost more important than their individual athleticism or scoring ability. Steph behind the back passes, Draymond Green, Like you have enough guys that are playing on the edge. Everybody else has to be really consistent. That's why when you have an Andrew Wiggins, he's not afforded the same luxury of inconsistency that he might have had or daring that he might have had in Minnesota. That's not his role. And you look at the players, particularly bigs, whose athleticism had waned but who were part of Warriors championship rotation at one time or another Andrew Bogut Zaza Pachulia and now Nemanja Bialica he's not particularly athletic but he understands how to play how to read Steph and is perfectly content to make his first objective to get a shot for Steph or pool or clay not every guy is built like that not every guy is willing or able to accept that That's why the proposal I saw that had the Warriors moving Wiseman for a deal that would bring them Christian Wood from the Rockets had me shaking my head. I get why someone would float that out there. Wood's numbers and skill set look like they fit with the way the Warriors play. He can shoot the three. He can block shots. Averages double-digit rebounds. But now that he's getting his in Houston, in a free-flowing offense that he doesn't have to think about, am I setting somebody else up? Is he willing to go back to the supportive role he had in Detroit? Plus, there is no way to know what kind of postseason player he might be. He's never been on a playoff team. Why would the Warriors deal for a player whose ability to play in the postseason is a complete mystery? Because they already have enough of those as-is that they very likely are going to have to depend on. So we should probably start here. Should the Warriors even be looking to make a move for that very reason, that they already have enough new pieces they're preparing for their first playoff, first deep playoff run with? Now, I get the sense the veterans on the team, namely Draymond Green and Andre Iguodala, Believe it's not necessary for the Warriors to make a move, based on how they've talked about James Wiseman in particular, and the important role they say he can play for them. That's the approach, by the way, that they should be taking, or at least publicly should be taking, because if it comes down to Wiseman being with them, it's important that he feels the veterans believe in him right up until he's dealt. And that's not necessarily an insip- insincere approach on the part of Dre and Andre. Veteran players, even veteran players who have a voice the way Dre and Andre do, always consider themselves more closely aligned with their fellow players than they do the front office. No matter how long they might have been with that team and no matter how young the players are. Because they what they know is, at any point, they could be that player on the trading block. They could be the one that is being looked at as disposable. You can find a number of Warriors veterans who have great relationship, a great relationship with Steve Kerr. I don't know that I've met one yet who talks in the same glowing terms or has a relationship in the same way with Bob Myers. That's no reflection on Bob and who he is as a person, but simply the position that he holds. Since I'm not a Warriors veteran, I don't have to pretend that I think that Wiseman is ready and able to play a meaningful role for a team trying to win a championship. Wiseman's lack of experience playing overall makes me more than willing to move him for the right veteran big, with with one qualifier, as long as it doesn't require a package of all their other young talent, namely... Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody. The deals that I've seen where the Warriors are giving up Wiseman, Kaminga, and Moody, their other first-round pick last summer, is the kind of all-or-none thinking that has the Lakers where they are right now. And I can tell you, there are GMs I've talked to that would take that approach. Their feeling is, if Kaminga and Moody were that good, they would have already beaten out the Damian Lees and Juan Toscano Andersons. And I get that thinking. But based on what I've heard from the Warriors, they don't just like Kaminga for his talent. They like how he's responded to the way they've handled him. The fact that he's continued to work in spite of not getting playing time. In spite of having to go down and play for the Santa Cruz Warriors. And that's just not easy for a young player. It's why D'Angelo Russell is in Minnesota and Kelly Oubre is in Charlotte Now, they weren't asked to go and play for the Santa Cruz Warriors, that I can recall, but they were asked to sacrifice their games, their pride, their egos, in order to fit in with what the Warriors were trying to accomplish. And some guys can do it and some guys guys can't. Andrew Wiggins is an example, conversely, of a guy who's been given the role that he has because he's been willing to adapt to focus his energy primarily at the defensive end, doing a lot of the work that Clay did as a big wing and not necessarily getting the same number of shots or offensive freedom. Now, ESPN has a proposal that would send the Warriors' three young players, Wiseman, Kaminga, and Moody, to the Pacers for DeMontis Sabonis. As far as a player who could play in the Warrior system, Sabonis certainly fits the bill and would give them a lot more than Wiseman can right now. But there's two things wrong with the deal. One, it doesn't take into account that Rick Carlisle is the Pacers' coach. Now, because he's a new coach, I would imagine that they're ready to tear up this roster and move in another direction. But Rick, in particular, is not looking to coach a full-blown rebuilding project or tolerate three players still very much trying to figure out the NBA game. And don't look at Pacers rookie Chris Duarte's role or minutes and think that Carlisle has somehow changed his approach based on the way Duarte has been used. He's not your typical rookie. First, he's 24 years old. Second, he's originally from the Dominican Republic and traveled a rather atypical road for a lottery pick. Two years of junior college, then two years at Oregon. He already is a father, which brings a certain maturity. I'm not getting into the fatherhoods topic just yet, promise. Kaminga, Moody, and Wiseman don't come close to fitting the same profile as Duarte, and they would not be of much use to Carlisle in the way he likes to coach or play. Two, The deal smacks of desperation, and that's not where the Warriors are. They'd like to improve their chances of capturing another ring. And Sabonis fits the bill with his level of experience and basketball IQ. And while Steph has made it known that he would like owner Joe Lacob to utilize all his resources to give the Warriors the best chance to win another ring... This isn't LeBron dictating that Wiggins, the player the Cavs took number 1 in the 2014 draft, be moved for Kevin Love. That's just not how Steph operates. So without that pressure, expect the Warriors to see who is available and what it will cost. Just know that making a move when you have the best record in the league is a little different than when you're in the middle of the playoff pack, when you're more hunter than hunted. I see a lot of deals proposed that the Warriors make as the means to filling holes in their makeup. And I'm not saying they don't have a few question marks. But when no one in the league appears capable of taking advantage of them, how necessary is it to risk what you've already established to address boogeymen that have yet to appear. And with that, we've reached the end of this episode and the subject of fatherhood remains untouched, which is good because I need to catch up on my quota of episodes for the week in short order, like maybe in the next 24 to 48 hours. So, That does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And in the next episode, we very well may address that fatherhood topic that I brought up. Or we may look elsewhere. You'll just have to tune in to find out. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening.